So the reading today comes from Psalm chapter 51. I've got the NIV, which I hope is the right one. (laughs) Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach your transgressors I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. For you you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Hello again, and yes, thank you uh, for having me, and um, yeah, I look forward uh, to meeting you if we haven't met before over morning tea later. Um, It'll be helpful to keep that passage open on your device or in your Bible, um, as I'll be referring back to it a fair bit in this talk. Um, But first, there are lots of great songs of confession out there. Um, Singers get really captured by that human wrestle with regret, feels like under the safety of a few metaphors, songs are a safer place to, to bring out our mistakes and, and try and find some healing. Uh, like Elton John, he's saying, sorry seems to be the hardest word. Um, and mum, who's here today, uh, often had that song on in the car growing up. And in a weird way, Elton became our teacher. Uh, you know, when, on those rare occasions when I was being a bit stubborn as a kid, I'd remember that line and think, Yeah, it's hard to say sorry, but I should. Uh, Songs give us a way of putting a whole mess of internal stuff into words, uh, which is why I love the book of Psalms in the Bible. Songs also show how a culture thinks about something. Um, So what do today's songs reflect about how we think about regrets? Um, How about this one on the screen from the great John Lennon? There? Yes. Oh, I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm sorry that I made you cry. Oh my, I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm just a jealous guy. 
Have you ever heard an apology like that before, where it starts with sorry, but then self-defense creeps in? I didn't mean to, it's just the way I am. Kind of leaves you wanting more, doesn't it? Here's something a bit more recent, Justin Bieber, uh, one of my personal favorites, Uh, I don't know, (laughs) he's newer, Justin, sorry, you know this song? Uh, He says, I'll take every single piece of the blame if you want me to, but you know that there's no innocent one in this game for two. It's true, there are two sides to every story, right? But it's funny how easy it is to slip from confession into accusation. It's a classic self-defense move, isn't it? I'm married to a fan, a big fan of High School Musical, And so when Netflix put out High School Musical, the musical, the series, um, I got to know the songs pretty quick. And here's an intriguing twist on the confession song up on the screen. I was born to be brave. I know who I am inside and I won't apologize. It's taking that jealous guy thing to the next level and saying, you know, those parts about me that others see as flaws are actually part of what makes me, me which is quite empowering. Except I'd be curious to see how it would go when I know I've hurt someone to say, I know who I am inside and you know what? I won't apologize. If you were to write a song of confession, how would it go? Or to put the question more bluntly, how do you deal with your regrets? What are your self-defense strategies Are you someone who finds it easy to dwell on your mistakes? I've got to say, that's often me. I can be quite guilt-driven. Or are you someone who prefers to move on and perhaps finds it very uncomfortable to have to think about the wrongs of the past? Either way, Psalm 51 gives a hope-giving corrective. How do you deal with your regrets? I dare say that a lot of us would like to find a good answer to that question, Um, But most of the time, life is hectic and things seem to keep going along okay. Except in those moments where your mistakes hit you head on and there's no getting around them. When was the last time you had one of those moments? Psalm 51 was written from that place. The little autobiographical blurb at the top gives us David at rock bottom. Israel's great king, the man after God's own heart. He loved and trusted God so much that as a boy, he wasn't afraid to take on the mighty Goliath. But today's song is not a victory march. Today he finds himself a liar, an adulterer, and a murderer. He saw beautiful Bathsheba bathing on the roof and he used his kingly power to have her summoned to him. He betrayed his family. He made a dishonest woman of Bathsheba and then organized the murder of her husband, one of his own soldiers, to cover up the subsequent pregnancy. I imagine that none of us have the resources to fail on such a grand scale. But in a room this size, there's every chance that some of us here will have been victims of those kind of actions and some of us perpetrators as well. And we've all had that cold, sinking feeling 
when the heat of the moment passes and you look back on something you've done and, and you just go, was that me? It's from that place of deepest ugliness and regret that David pens a confession song. When he loses his defense moves and finds hope. And for anyone today who wants to learn to live with their regrets, this song is a great teacher. So let's listen in to David's raw confession, his yearning for real change, and his clarity about right sacrifice. Point one, raw confession. David's song begins with a bold and honest plea. Have a look again at verse one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. As the guilt of his lies, adultery and murder washes over him, what David needs most is not for God to treat him as he deserves. He needs God to act according to his tender compassion. He puts himself at God's mercy. Please, God, blot out my despicable behavior. Imagine a book with your name on the front cover, you know, the book of Jamie Seafang. And it's not a curated biography, but a dead accurate account of everything you've ever done, every word you've said, and every behind-the-scenes thought process. Imagine if someone here managed to find a copy of your book and stood up this morning to give us a reading from it. How would you feel? I'll be slipping out there, out to the ASAP, I reckon, if it was mine. David knows that God has his book. But instead of slipping away, he pleads, can you strike it from the record? What basis does David have for that kind of bold request? For the good I have done outweighs the wrong? If any Old Testament figure were to appeal to their past track record, it would be David. God, it was just one big mistake. I've always tried to do right by you. In other Psalms, David does refer to his good deeds. But here at rock bottom, he knows that it would just be empty self-defense. So what does he say? Verse 3, For I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. The basis for David's plea is a bare confession. No caveats, just I was wrong and I know it. And part of that confession is realizing that David's sin was primarily against God. Of all the people David hurt, Bathsheba, her husband, David's family, his country, why is God at the top of the list? In verse 4, well, all of those people affected by David's choices are people who God made. Hence the commandments, do not murder, do not covet your neighbor's wife. When we mistreat one another and the world, we mess with their maker's precious property. David acknowledges that. And he doesn't soften the blow with some self-justification. Notice at the end of verse 4 how clearly he admits that his wrong only goes to show that God is right. And he doesn't just see it as a blip on his otherwise good record. Verse 5 
Surely I was sinful at birth. Now he's not mother blaming. He's not saying it's just human nature like jealous guy style. In a moment of raw honesty, David looks at those mistakes and he sees the man who made those decisions. And he knows they're a symptom of a deeper problem. He is rotten to the core. That's the kind of human nature David's talking about. A nature that we all take part in. There's a devastating bit of wordplay going on in verse 6 when David talks about God delighting in wisdom in secret places. In the context, it makes sense to picture God teaching David even in the hiddenness of the womb. And there's tragedy there as we think about God's fatherly tenderness to David in such a vulnerable place. But then there's that other layer when we, we think about what David grew up to do in dark, secret places. How he let the thrill of fantasy and, and cover-ups drown out the voice of his good father. How easy is it to do that? To kid ourselves that we can construct a secret place, whether it's in the office or the, at the computer or just a corner of the brain, and pretend that it's separate from God. So there it is, a raw confession If our modern songs are any indication, this doesn't come naturally to us, does it? One of my many growth areas as a husband is learning to apologize well. I don't know about you, but I've got some work to do on owning my failures without qualifications, like David does here. If it's hard to do that with another human being, how much harder when it comes to God? I think part of what makes it so hard is that it's really painful to have to face those ugly parts of myself and own them. Someone who thought about this a lot was the country singer Johnny Cash. Uh, Wikipedia calls him a troubled but devout Christian. Uh, He was someone who loved Jesus, singing in the Billy Graham Crusades. But he knew his share of rock-bottom moments of violence and unfaithfulness. Towards the end of his life, Johnny wrote a lot of songs about redemption. One of my favorites is called The Beast in Me, up on the screen. Uh, The beast in me is caged by frail and fragile bars, restless by day, and by night rants and rages at the stars. I reckon King David would like this song. That beast within, that part of yourself you barely recognize, but undeniably you And we might say with Johnny and with David, God help the beast in me. Psalm 51 invites us to look that beast in the eye and to name our regrets for what they are. And not just to leave it there, but to turn towards God with that. You know, if you're aware of some big failures in your life at the moment, one alternative available to you would be to turn not to God, but to others, you could probably find people who will make you feel better without having to deal with the issue. But wouldn't it be a tragedy to stay distant from the right person? The challenge is to swallow our pride and turn towards God, to the one we've wronged, to the Father who can deal with those pages of regret. 
Are there regrets you've been holding on to that you need to bring to God today? What would it look like if we were a community that was in the habit of turning towards our loving God with our failures? Uh, When COVID was first ramping up and we were faced with the thought of uh, face masks in church, uh, a sassy friend of mine wrote this Facebook post, uh, no worries, I've been wearing a mask to church for years. It's pretty good. Wouldn't it be sad if we all came to church assuming that everyone else here has got it all together and so I should act like that too? God inspired this song in the Bible to give us the words to be real with him and each other. Because that's where real change comes from. That's point two, real change. I imagine point one was pretty heavy going. Um, Feels a bit heavy coming in as a guest speaker and bringing all this up. Uh, Especially if you're someone who prefers not to dwell on past failings. You'll be thankful to know that David doesn't leave it there. Um, But this is where it gets challenging for those of us who like to dwell on the past. The true repenter doesn't just want to get the past off their chest. They yearn for change. And David is confident, not in himself, but in God, to bring that about. Have a look at verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. If you choose to do it, God, I'll be spotless. What a beautiful hope of a clear conscience. It's a picture of forgiveness. And from forgiveness comes reconciliation where the only part of David that God hides his face from in verse 9 is his sins, a relationship where your failures will never be held against you. And from that relationship, there comes change from the inside out. Uh, Here's verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is what David longs for. Not just a clean slate, he wants that core problem dealt with, that beast within, our heart that decides to nurture the fantasy, that decides that flirting is harmless, that turns a blind eye to the damage our actions cause. Create in me a pure heart, O God. This plea takes us back to the first sentence of the Bible where God creates the heavens and the earth. It's an audacious request, but David is asking the right person, the creator. David knows he doesn't have it in himself to be a better man. For him to want what God wants, that's nothing short of a miracle. And the transformation doesn't end there. From David the sinner to David the teacher... Then I'll teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. That's a great encouragement to anyone here who teaches the Bible to others, um, whether it's to kids or small groups. Uh, What better person to teach others about following Jesus than someone who knows how much God has forgiven them? What a journey David goes on in this psalm, from bone-crushing grief to songs of relief. Whoever you are, whatever you're carrying into church today, this is what God offers you. 
to wipe that book of regrets clean and start writing a new story in its pages of a changed heart, of reconciliation, the joy of a clear conscience, not because you get it right all the time, but because you rely on God's overflowing kindness. What a beautiful story that would be. We get a glimpse of David's here today. And if you look around, God has been writing stories of real change in hearts all through history, including in this room. If you're someone who knows Jesus, you'll know you're a work in progress. But think about how he has changed your heart along the way so far. I think of Christian sisters and brothers who I've walked alongside over the last 15 or so years. I've seen people go from thinking the weekend was the point of life to genuinely loving others like Jesus has loved them. I've been taught the Bible by a man who was once in his own estimation as far from God as you can get, uh, stuck in a life of selfishness, drugs and violence until he hit rock bottom and turned to God for mercy. I loved hearing him talk about Jesus. He talked about forgiveness as if his life depended on it. I've seen people go from loving porn to hating it as they realize how much hurt it causes to God's precious people. And they take the shame they had bottled up inside about it and they start talking about it with people and with God and start fighting a battle. These are miracle stories. I don't know exactly what that story of redemption might look like for you, but the invitation for all of us today is to pray that dangerous prayer Create in me a clean heart, O God. It's a plea to God not just to blot out the past, but to change how we think about things, what we desire, what we care about. And that's hard, right? Because if we're honest, there's parts of us that are going to like things that God hates. What are you scared of changing? To share a uh, fairly safe example from my life, if I was to pray God, please teach me not to care so much about other people's opinions, to care about what you think. What would happen if God answered that prayer? What if he chooses to do that by giving me lots of opportunities to respond to disapproval? That's a dangerous prayer, but so transformative because you're asking the right person, the God who has loved you since before you were born. If you're exploring who Jesus is today, let me encourage you as you think about things to consider the evidence in the lives of Christians that you know. Now, this psalm makes it pretty clear that uh, believers can go horribly wrong, but there is that unmistakable change of heart. As people start to think differently, start to act differently because they know Jesus. Maybe you could ask them about that. Could it be the mark of the maker's hand? If you're someone who knows the kindness of God, what would you say to someone who asks how knowing Jesus has made a difference in your life? Maybe over morning tea today, you could make it a goal to tell someone about one real change that you're thankful Jesus has made for you. Raw confession, real change. Uh, Third, the thing that it all hangs on a right understanding of sacrifice. God's Old Testament law allowed for sinners to draw near to him 
by sacrificing animals. It was a very tactile reminder to God's people, my sin is paid for in blood, but not my own. But there were some sins that couldn't be atoned for like that. Murder demanded the blood of the perpetrator. And Numbers 15 makes it clear that there's no sacrifice for high-handed, intentional sins. Looking at it through those categories, David is in deep trouble. He has blood on his hands, and his calculated plan to steal Bathsheba and then cover his tracks looks pretty high-handed, and he knows it. Verse 16, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. And David could make a religious show of making things right with God. But he knows deep down he hasn't got a leg to stand on. In fact, the legitimate sacrifices of the Old Testament were never about that. As the book of Hebrews says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They were always pointing to something greater. So where does David's quiet confidence come from? Well, have a look at verse 17, which I think is the key to this whole psalm. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And the sacrifice God is really interested in isn't an outward show. It's one of the heart, a heart that is broken by its own wretchedness. More than the outward, I'm sorry, or even the ways we try to reform ourselves, God looks at the heart, which is kind of terrifying, but very comforting. God will never reject a heart that genuinely breaks over sin. Now this might raise a question. Is this psalm saying that you can do anything you want, and as long as you're sorry, God has to say it's okay? I mean, Think about what David has done. You can't take those things back. There's too much at stake to have a cheap view of forgiveness, the the kind of mercy that Taylor Swift makes fun of when she says forgiveness is a nice thing to do. If God forgives just because he's nice, he's not a God worth knowing because then there's no justice, there's no vindication for victims. But of course, that's not what God is like. David knows that. There's, There's too much at stake to just say it's all good. The fate of his nation, represented by Zion in verse 18, hangs in the balance. Because sin isn't surface level, it's deep. It's not even just individual, it can be corporate. It's an expensive problem that needs an expensive solution. David needs God to step in. If God's people are going to have a hope in the world, Zion needs a king who can bring God's mercy with justice. And centuries later, God answered David's prayer with a son of David, a humble carpenter who walked into Jerusalem as its king with one clear purpose, to deal with the deep, deep problem between God and human beings. Here's a thought I've been struck by. If Psalms was the Jewish hymn book, then Jesus as a Jewish man would have sung Psalm 51. And it makes heaps of sense that Jesus would sing the Psalms about the perfect righteous king. But how could the one truly innocent person sing this song of confession? 
I think that's the beauty of God's grace. In his mercy and justice, Jesus, as the king, chose to take this song up on his lips on behalf of sinners everywhere. As he made the sacrifice and shed the blood for anyone who will say to God, your justice demands blood for my actions, but in your mercy, please don't let it be mine. That's how costly, but also how real God's forgiveness is. It's just, it's kind, and it's as sure as the scars in Jesus' hands. That's the thing it took me about 16 years to get. Uh, I became a Christian in my late teens, even though I grew up going to church. Um, I've always been fairly guilt-driven, so I didn't find it hard to believe I was a sinner. My mistake was assuming that Christians were the good people. And I'd done enough by the time I was 13 to know I wasn't one of those. My awareness of sin didn't drive me towards God, but away from Him. I screwed it up in a little ball and tried to get on with life. It wasn't until someone for the millionth time explained the cross to me that it finally hit me. God was doing something for me there. He was paying the just price for my guilt. The justice and mercy of the cross is the only way that I can have an honest view of my failings without my life being crushed by guilt. That realization changed everything for me. Might today be a day like that for you? Have you done something that you're not sure God can forgive? Maybe David's story is a bit too real for you today. Or maybe it's pushed you to think about those deep, dark secrets, the the shame of a porn habit or an addiction or some other hidden thing. As you listen to Jesus singing this song on your behalf, hear how seriously God takes your forgiveness Jesus shed his blood so that you could say without a doubt, God won't turn my contrite heart away. Now we're all well practiced at, you know, screwing our regrets up in a little ball and blaming or downplaying them. And we miss out on the joy of a clean conscience. So let's make this a place where we help each other practice being real with each other and God. Because God will never turn away a heart that is broken by its own wretchedness. I'm going to give us a chance to start responding to this great news now. Um, I've had a go at capturing at least some of this prayer as a song. Uh, And so I'm going to play it. And while I'm playing it, you might like to take the chance to do some business with God. Uh, Maybe bring some of those regrets to Him. Or you might like to think about Jesus dealing with your regrets as he sang that song on the cross. Uh, So I'll just take a minute to get myself sorted and then we'll have some time to reflect on this prayer a bit more.